Welcome to the Live Well, Perform Better podcast. My name is David Duggan and I'm the director of Below the Line, an Irish-based consultancy specialising in helping people, teams and organisations raise their levels of consciousness, inner potential and performance. I am part of a team made up of experts from the worlds of business, elite sport, adventure and health and well-being. We are coaches, mentors and advisors to some of the world's biggest companies and organisations, as well as smaller businesses, entrepreneurs and people looking to make their mark in the world. Our guiding mantra at Below the Line is live well and perform better. What does that mean, you might ask? Good question. Maybe the easiest way to describe it from our perspective is finding the formula that works for you when it comes to things like looking after your physical and mental health, running your business, developing your career, leading your people, or simply being able to show up as brilliantly as possible into your own life, both for yourself and those around you. That's why each week I sit down with a member of our team or an invited guest for a conversation that focuses on the question, what do the words live well, perform better mean to you? This question is a way into exploring with people from a range of different backgrounds, industries and disciplines. What are the practices, techniques, habits or ideas that they use to help them to show up and be at their best in all areas of their lives? Whether that's as CEOs, leaders or managers, or as parents, family members or friends. We keep it short and sweet so that you can extract all the good stuff and get on with the rest of your day and hopefully put some of our knowledge, experience and expertise into play for yourself. This week I'm delighted to be joined by another very special guest, Jackie Das. Jackie is a self-described meeting rescuer who through her recently established business, The Das Approach, is helping people in businesses across the world to conduct high-stake meetings for maximum impact. With a background in the pharmaceutical industry, Jackie has worked around the globe in roles that have always placed an emphasis on the need for confident presentation and communication skills. And it is this passion, born out of her professional experience, that is now driving her work. In what was a fascinating conversation, we covered a range of topics, including the most common mistakes made by people in meetings, confidence and its role in helping us to have productive meetings with positive outcomes, and bridging the digital divide when hosting in-person and online gatherings, as well as the importance of not always looking for advice and why everyone should take a gap year. You can subscribe at www.belowtheline.ie where you can stay up to date with our podcast as well as our exclusive online events and sessions, including our Press Pause coaching community. Thanks for listening and now on with the show. First of all, saying, Jackie, thanks a million for being a guest on the podcast and for giving me your time. Um, my traditional uh, starting question is, um, please tell me, why do you do what you do? Thanks. It's, well, first of all, thank you for the welcome. It's really nice to be here. It's my first podcast, so I hope I'm going to pass if there's a pass and a fail. Um, I, why do I do what I do? Well, I call myself a meeting rescuer. And I'm in my third career. I'm a little bit, just a teeny, teeny bit older. And I started my career in finance. And then I was honored to progress into project management in about 2006, 2007. And I worked with big pharmaceutical and medical device companies. And I just left the corporate mothership, as I like to call it, and set out on my own. And now I call myself a meeting rescuer. And what that means is that I go into companies and help them to really be credible and confident when they lead meetings. And my particular niche is what I call high stakes meetings. 
So for example, supposing you have a great product idea or service and you think, okay, you know, we're all set to present that to a client or to our senior executive team. That's only part of the story. You, you're not only selling your product, you're also selling your organization and your whole entire team and yourself. So when you go into meetings and you lead a meeting or when you do a presentation, you're showcasing yourselves in that scenario as well as your product. So what I do is I go in to train people and teams in organizations to really showcase themselves well in what I call those high stakes meetings. So I call myself the meeting rescue and it's really important because the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because having worked in um, the pharmaceutical med device industry for a long, long time in digital transformation, I've been a client where vendor teams have come in and okay, they've got a great product, but they make so many mistakes that lose credibility that I just want to jump out of the screen and fix it for them and say, okay, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, you lose credibility. And so that's what I do. I've developed a two-day training around that and I go into companies and help them with that. What do people in your experience get most wrong about either preparing for meetings or handling meetings? So quite a lot of things. I could speak for two days about this. <laughs> Obviously, it's not a two-day podcast. The first thing that people need to do is show up professionally as a team. And you'd be really surprised. Uh, to me, that seems really obvious. To me, that seems obvious. And to you, that probably seems obvious. But you'd be so surprised. I saw a vendor coming in to sell million dollar, a million-dollar system, come into a big pharmaceutical client, and I was the project manager. And it was a three-hour meeting, and not a single one of them turned their camera on for the whole meeting so things like that are really obvious. And then I've seen people who really just can't keep the meeting in focus or can't steer it towards an outcome, or they read from the PowerPoint instead of trying to really engage the audience with what the system can do and how it can solve their problems. And when we're on the client side, we, we're filling out a, score, a scoreboard, and it's not just the product that we're scoring, we're scoring the team and the organization and saying, well, do we really want to work with this team, a team that doesn't show themselves on camera in the first ever meeting? Do we want to work with this team? And the answer is no, we don't. So it's things like that that seem obvious, but they're not always obvious. It also seems to me that you're probably having to work with people to really get them to understand the impact that they're having versus the impact that they want to have. How, how much of your work focuses on that side of things? Quite a lot of my work focuses on that. So one of the modules in the training is um, behaviors that lose credibility really fast. So for example, you know, the camera is a really, really good example or interrupting other people when they're speaking is one of them or arguing as a I've seen vendors where they come on and showcase a product and they start arguing amongst themselves about what the product can do. So one of the modules that I teach, when I say teach, really it's a workshop where people come up with the solution with the solutions and work together to collaborate is what are the behaviors that destroy credibility and I get the participants to brainstorm the behaviors and come up with them themselves and then we review them and what the impact is. And so that's that's a great question. It's self-awareness. Self-awareness is a big part of it. I'm guessing confidence has a big part to play in it as well. Again, how much do you have to work with people on, on their confidence? A, again, a great question. A lot. So again, if you have a fantastic product, say chat gpt well that kind of sells itself really but if you have a great product and you have to be confident about your product you can't be all kind of 
you know, wimpy and, and timid and going in to sell your product. You have to showcase it. I think that's a great way to, word. You have to showcase the product. And the way you do that is through speaking and presenting and leading meetings. I'm guessing as well, you've got to be, you've got to have a, you've got to have strong confidence just in yourself. So there's product is important, but you um, putting yourself out there in front of people and just being confident and comfortable in that. Again, I'm sure that that's probably something you see an awful lot of where people are probably the opposite of that. I do see that. And also it is cultural to some extent. So right now, um, for example, I, I've worked in the USA, I've worked in the UK, I've worked in Ireland, and now I'm here in Hungary. There is a big difference in terms of where people come from and how comfortable they are with showcasing themselves and being confident and credible. So yes, I do I do see a lot of that. Yeah, and some people are really uncomfortable with doing that. It's not natural to them and they feel it's showing off. And I think there's a fine line between being confident and showing off. And that's really the, you know, the sweet spot that we have to get to. Just off air, we were we were talking um about Toastmasters and your your journey with Toastmasters. Um and I can see obviously the strong parallels between what you do now and, and, and Toastmasters. Um but can you just tell me a little bit more about that? Why uh, where did that come from and how does it find expression in your in your work at the moment? Well, Toastmasters is actually the reason why I'm here now. Toastmasters saved me from my own timid shyness. So I, you know. Like a lot of people my age, my parents always said, don't speak until you're spoken to. That was a mantra that I heard all the time from my parents. And when I went over to the, moved to the USA in 1999, the first thing I noticed was that everybody seemed, everybody I came into touch with seemed to be way more confident than me and really spoke very well and weren't nervous about speaking up. And I had what I would call severe stage fright ever since the age of 17 or 18. If I was in a meeting, I couldn't even introduce myself. I was so scared. And then I was sent on a leadership conference in Arizona in 2006, 2007. And it was a great conference. And at the end of it, we had to do a presentation. And guess what? That was the one thought that dominated my entire week. I didn't enjoy the conference one little bit because I was so scared of the end of the week presentation that I had to give. And that was the defining moment for me that I decided I've got to do something about it. And I joined Toastmasters and I've been a Toastmaster for 15 years and it's it's really helped with my confidence so much, but it's a journey. For me, it's been 15 years. It's not something that you can really dip in and dip out of. You have to be consistent and keep doing it. It's slow and baby steps. If I think about the, the parallels between say Toastmasters and meetings, obviously the first thing that comes to me is speaking up at meetings. What's your advice for how people should try and do that in a way, um, going back to the phrase you used earlier, uh, you know, that min minimize behaviors that lose credibility because my sense is in an awful lot of organizations, it's obviously safer and easier to stay quiet and shut up during the meeting. And after the meeting is over, then we can have our side, our back channel conversations about, et cetera, et cetera. So what's what's your advice on how to pipe up and, and be loud, if you like, or, or be influential at meetings? The biggest thing is the fact that we're all learning all the time. And it doesn't matter how old you are, you're always learning something. Today, I had a meeting and I learned something. I just came back from the meeting, I learned something about energy, that energy is contagious. And somebody who spoke before me had high energy. And because of that, I had high energy because I caught his energy bubble. Um, but the biggest thing is 
that we have to speak up. We need more people to speak up in the world. And I don't just mean speak up on social media because that's the easy thing, but we have to use our voices to make ourselves heard and known and to get our message across. And the human side is really, really important, even though AI is becoming more and more a part of our worlds now, we have to use our voices. So that's that's really what I've learned from Toastmasters, as well as being a great community of people. Uh, I, I love that role, if you like, the meeting cynic. There's obviously a meeting leader. Are there other characters that um, you come across or that you help people identify in your work? My advice would be that it's really up to the meeting leader to create the environment and the safe space. So it's really an emotional intelligence thing. So if I'm going in to lead a meeting, um, what I would want to do is make sure that people have that safe space to speak up. So that means if they're interrupted, I would step in and say, please let this person finish what they're saying. Or if somebody is attacking their idea as the meeting cynic, that's what I call the meeting cynic, then you know, just give them the safe space. And there are techniques there are really simple techniques to get people to speak up. And one of them is calling is called the silent technique. I call it the silent technique. So if you say you say, David, you go into a meeting and you say, you know what? I want everyone's ideas on how we double the size of our business in the next two years. And you go into a meeting with 10 people. So maybe you get two people speaking up and everyone else is quiet. What you can do is put that idea out there. I want everyone's ideas on how we double our turnover and then give them 10 minutes to work in total silence. So no one's piping in, no one's interrupting, everyone is quiet. And then say, okay, let's put all our ideas on the board. Or if you're on a remote call using a tool like Miro. So that's the way of getting everybody's ideas out. Because some people don't, don't like to speak as well. So, but you still want them to contribute. So really to me, it's down to, down to the meeting leader and the facilitator to be aware of what's going on in the meeting. And it's all down to active listening as well. You already alluded to this, you know, the idea of the leader trying to create the right type of environment that will enable those, those that silent majority to feel more able to speak up. And you're right, it's clearly, it's not just raise your voice, but, but, but use some techniques that will help people just step into the meeting a little bit more, it seems. There are, um, and I'm doing a video series on this on LinkedIn, so I'm just going to put that out there. I do a one-minute video, and today, tomorrow is going to be the meeting cynic. So there's the interrupter. There's the person who talks over people. There's the interrupter. There's the hijacker. So the hijacker is the person who, you, you've got your own agenda, Dave, for the meeting, and then Alan from sales comes in, and he says, oh, let's take this down a different path. So how do you handle those personalities and that all comes back to what you were saying before it comes down to confidence how many meetings have you been into where the leader suddenly has lost control so you have to keep control and you have to speak up and say okay well let's put that on the parking lot that's not on the agenda but maybe we can discuss it at the end there are lots of characters the hijacker the interrupter the cynic the vocal few the show off the person with their own agenda there are so many and i'm doing a whole series of videos on this you, you already alluded to this, you know, the idea of the leader trying to create the right type of environment that will enable those those that silent majority to feel more able to speak up. And you're right. It's clearly it's not just raise your voice, but but, but use some techniques that will help people just step into the meeting a little bit more, it seems. Yeah. And you can also use things if it's a remote meeting, you can also use the chat or something like a Miro board to get people to contribute if they don't want to speak up, but they still want to get their idea across. So there are lots of little simple things that you can do to get everyone's contribution because 
as you alluded to earlier, the worst thing is when a meeting is held and you've got agreement and then everyone goes out and some people start having what I call the after party meeting where they're like, okay, the party's over now, let's have the after party. This is what we really should have done in the meeting. If I if I branch out a little bit more broadly, um, just to ask you about our, our strap line in below the line, which is live well and perform better. Um, I always ask my guests just for their take on what that means to them. So please tell me, what does that mean to you? Okay, and I've got some notes here that I'm going to have because I did some preparation. Yeah, so for me, and it is this is all personal to everybody. So this is really, really personal to me. Um, so I've got, you know, the usual things like diet and all that kind of stuff. We could reel those off and I'm sure lots of people would say that. But for me, it's community. Find a community that inspires you, that are like-minded people. And whatever community that is, it could be knitting, it could be crocheting, it could be Toastmasters, it could be church. Just find a community that you feel really comfortable in that really lifts you up. I think that's very important. Um, the other thing that I do, that I recommend, for, that I do for me is a lot of people focus on keeping their, you know, their health fit and their body fit. But for my mind, I started learning the violin 10 years ago. And the reason I did that was because I wanted to do something that would keep my hand-eye coordination and my brain in shape. And I don't think there's enough, I don't see enough recommendations on LinkedIn or elsewhere about how to keep your brain in shape. And I think that's something, especially when you look at the stats on dementia and those kind of things, we all need to work towards keeping our brain in shape. Yeah. So those yeah. are a couple of things I do. Wow. How's your violin playing now? Um, I need to get to Ireland because I do the music <laughs> I play is Irish Irish music. Oh wow! And I need to go. I need to get to Ireland. So it's doing pretty well. I try to do like twenty minutes a day. Um, I need to get out and do a little bit more. You know, it's like everything finding the time, but it's not too bad, and it's it keeps my brain engaged and hand eye coordination, all of that important stuff. I love it. I love it. Um, you mentioned obviously, look, twenty minutes a day, um, music, uh, Toastmasters. But is there anything else that you do on a daily or a weekly or a monthly basis that just helps you uh, show up into everything that you've got going on as as well as you possibly can? Not something that I do on a daily, monthly, or weekly basis. But I decided at the age of fifty five to take a gap year. Why not? You know, most people at eighteen they say we'll have a gap year between college and university. I decided, you know, why can't I have a gap year at my age? And I was living in Phoenix, Arizona, and I just really grew tired of the corporate world. I felt burned out and I just um, engineered it so that I could have a gap year. And I came all the way to Budapest and that's a whole other story. And it, it was for a year, but I loved it so much. I stayed for two years. So I think every now and then do something risky that really sets you on fire, you know, really makes you fizz and gives you energy because life can become really really mundane and you're never too old to take a break and if you really want to do it you can really make it happen and I made it happen I'm not a millionaire by any stretch of the imagination but I I made it happen I'm really proud of myself for doing that just it, come into a different culture um walking into a city with no friends just a couple of suitcases nowhere to live I didn't know the language what that does for your brain and your mentality is unbelievable. So I recommend everyone should take a gap year, whether you're 18 or 85, take that gap year. Fantastic. What an answer. Um, and I guess to, to, to add to that as well, obviously, um, you've, you've, you're, you've, you're now uh, an entrepreneur, you're, you set, set up your own business. So I guess um, the, the gap year has kind of maybe it sparked a whole a complete life shift in many ways. 
Yes, it, it really, really did. And um, and and the entrepreneur journey is not an easy one, as, as you yourself know. There are days, I don't want to give the impression that I'm all kind of, you know, always energetic and inspiring. The reality is I'm not. You know, I had a tough week last week where I was thinking, you know, should I even be doing this? So everywhere on our journey, we have those slumps where we're thinking, what the heck am I doing? But yeah, it definitely did inspire me. And it's a risk because it's easier to, it's definitely easy to take a salary and just be part of an organization. And you can have a somewhat easy life, I feel. But I wanted to take that risk and I'm going to see if it doesn't pay off after a year, then I'm going to go back into the corporate world. But I wanted to give myself a year to see if I could really be my own boss and make it work. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, really exciting. Fantastic. And really inspiring, I think, for anyone listening to this conversation. Um, you mentioned burnout there a couple of years ago, and obviously you're um, on the outside of the corporate world looking in now and dealing with an awful lot of businesses, um, you know, in terms of what you're doing in terms of um, high stake meetings and um, prepar preparation for meetings. But what are some of the key issues you think that are um, occupying the minds of, of, of people in organizations at the moment? For me, I think it's the remote work environment. I think that even though a lot of people say this is fantastic, I feel it's very lonely. It's very isolating. If you're, for example, living on your own and you don't have family support and you're just working remotely, I think you can really become isolated from the world. And I think this is something that is is a huge issue. Despite people saying we love it, I think there's also people who don't love it very much. And if you think about this, let's think about if this was done in, supposing COVID never happened, but an organization said, you know, let's try remote working or hybrid. What would have happened is they would have done a pilot. They would have um, presented to the steering committee. They would have evaluated it and then rolled it out to the rest of the organization. And it would have been supported by OCM, organizational change management and a really big initiative. But what happened was overnight, everyone just suddenly had to deal with it. And OK, suddenly working at home. And I just think the mental ramifications of that are huge. I really think that's one of the most the biggest challenges for the world today is working remotely. And I know you guys run this leadership retreat to get people together. I think there's going to be much more of a need for that. And I think executives and teams are going to want to bring their, them bring their team out to work together in person and to do the things that you're you, you know you're developing in your organization there's going to be a huge need for that we're going to have to we're going to have to how do uh, business leaders or managers combine or successfully hold meetings where they've got people uh, on site and people dialing in because that to me seems like a really difficult challenge to uh, or a, a balancing act to to manage yeah, and that's actually a really great question because last week I did a workshop on meeting pain points for IBM, and one of the pain points that they brought up was one of was what you what you said, which is how do we successfully lead or facilitate hybrid meetings? My my advice is to have either or. So for the leader to say, you know, this is um, it's either going to be all remote or all in person if you can because hybrid meetings, they're just really, really hard to facilitate. They just are, they're challenging. The technical side is challenging. It's hard to involve the people who are not there in person. 
there are so many challenges. So I, I think if you can just choose one means and say it's either this or it's that, and maybe that's not the advice you want to hear, but honestly, I think the hybrid meetings are really hard. And just going back to that, I, I agree. Um, but if for whatever reason, just say you had to do it, right? Um, uh, is there like for me, I think they should be, they need to be short. They can't be a couple of hours long. We just need to, I, I, it's, there's added thinking and um, required in terms of how you prep that meeting um, to really include people. But I, I think like brevity has got to be one of the key things. So you're, you're not sitting around with people in a room looking at people who are staring into screens. But is there any other kind of things that you think, okay, if, if this has to happen, here's, here's what an organization or a leader should consider? Yeah, I think brevity is really important, but I also think maybe tools that the online people can use, such as Miro boards or Mural or Trello. So think of all the tools and technology that we can make use of today to really make it easier. Um, I I agree with brevity. I was once on this Agile workshop and it was three hours and I was one of the online people. And I became so, I felt that as an online person, I just became almost on the borderline, just watching. And in the end, I went to, I just decided I was going to do my ironing because I just couldn't even get a feel for it. It was three hours long. I was didn't feel a part of it. It was a workshop. It was about agile. I was doing my ironing. Don't tell my ex-boss that, but I went to do my ironing. In terms of a, a piece of advice, and maybe you've touched on this already, but any any piece of advice you would give to anyone looking to live well and perform better? My advice is there comes a point when you've got to stop listening to advice. That's actually my advice. And I've actually just realized this. It's been a massive revelation in the last few weeks that I'm the kind of person who is always asking for advice. And then I realized it. I'm not actually asking for advice. What I'm really asking for is validation. And I just decided I know what I'm doing. I know my path. I know my journey. So I'm going to stop asking for advice. So I think anyone, no matter what journey you're on, there comes a point where you just say, I'm, I'm not going to advise ask for any more advice it's fine to ask for help but I think everyone's got to know the difference between advice the difference between advice validation and asking for some practical help and so know when you're ready for your journey to start and you don't need advice anymore because no one knows your journey like you know it no one like knows you like you know yourself brilliant brilliant great answer um and then lastly um Tell me more about the DAS approach. Where can people find you and get in touch with you? Uh, tell us more about the programs, all that type of stuff. Yeah, so everything's on LinkedIn. Um, I'm developing a website right now. I make regular videos once a week and I've developed a two-day training framework around what we talked about meetings and presentations and how to sell yourself at those high stakes meetings and presentations. But it's also modular. So clients can say, well, I want this, but I don't want that. Or we can do it over instead of two days, they can say, let's spread it over two months. So they can contact me really via LinkedIn, find me on LinkedIn, Jackie Das and the Das approach. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's D-A-S, obviously, for anyone listening. Um, but Jackie, thanks a million for giving me your time. Uh, your answers were, were brilliant, wonderfully succinct and inspiring and energetic. So and I wish you all the best with the DAS approach. And uh, obviously, I hope anyone listening to this who's inspired will go and contact you and reach out to you um, for, for some help and advice and guidance. So thanks a million. Thank you. I appreciate it. Really nice to be here. And thank you for asking me to be a guest. Thank you so much for listening to this week's conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. 
If you like what you heard and you want to stay in touch with us, then please head over to www.belowtheline.ie to subscribe to our mailing list and to explore our upcoming programs and events. Until then, take care and see you next time.